Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You know, it is a powerful thing when we sing the names of God, isn't it? Uh, you may not have known that you were doing that, but that's exactly what you were doing, singing the old, some of the Old Testament Hebrew names that God described himself as and the way in which that name applies to who he is and because who he is uh, also is what he does. Isn't that good news today? If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to join me in the gospel according to Matthew. So go ahead and make your way there, Matthew chapter number 16. And uh, I hope that you've got a good night of sleep. Anybody? No? All right. Well, I'm just going to rock on anyway. And uh, Matthew 16, I believe this with all my heart. The Lord is going to speak to our hearts in a very intimate way, a powerful way today. Um, If you're our guest today, I want to just kind of mention one thing. On the chair backs in front of you, there's a little card about every third chair. If you would, if you're our guest, take just a second and scan that with your phone. And uh, use that to give us a little information. We can minister to you and pray for you and, uh, and be the church for you. Okay, another thing about our phones. Could we do something housekeeping for just a minute? Would you get your phone as you're getting your Bible? Get your phone out for me, and let's do a couple of things real quick. All right, first of all, on the side of that thing, there's a volume switch. Will you cut that ringer off, all right, so that your duck call or your shotgun blast or whatever your favorite song doesn't blare out in your neighborhood, okay? Now, notice this. If you decided not to do it because you thought it was off, you're really going to have a scene when yours goes off. So make sure that you cut those off, okay? And at the same time, if you're on social media, I always encourage you to be a missionary from your chair, which means if you're on social media, you can share the Facebook page right now. And uh, every week we have testimonies of people all around the world that a friend of a friend, your friend shared it to another friend, and people, not just in the United States, but all around the world, God's impacting through the ministry here. So thank you for being a missionary from your chair and doing that, all right? So if you will, take now Matthew chapter 16, find verse number 21 with me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, all right? Now, I'm going to give you a little background as to what's going on. First of all, a couple of things I'd like to cause you to think about for a minute. Have you ever used the phrase, uh, get behind me, Satan? Have you ever said that? Raise your hand if you've ever said that in your life. Get behind me Satan. oh wow, most all of us, okay? Most of the time, it's in the context of somebody putting in front of us a pan of brownies, right? Uh, in my case, or maybe uh, an alcoholic beverage or a substance or maybe, I don't know, something that was tempting you to fall. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. What I want to declare to you today is that is an absolute outright miscontext of the verse and the phrase, get behind me, Satan, okay? So what we're going to do today is find out what does it really mean, okay? I'm going to give you a little bit about um, Matthew, a former tax collector, uh, writing the story of what he saw, the historical account of Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection in this gospel according to Matthew. As he's recording here in chapter 16, we're seeing where Jesus is again dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and his disciples. So there's some comparing contrast going on. What I mean is you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're the really educated people. They're the really religious people. They look like the old covenant. Uh, They are are trying to attain a God-likeness or a relationship with God through the law, which was never possible, okay? And so Jesus always had conflict with them because Jesus represented the fact that God made 
made a way for anybody, Jew or Gentile, to have personal relationship with him through Jesus' death and resurrection. They hated him for that, okay? So, uh, he begins teaching with them, or they're teaching with him. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the first part of chapter 16, asked Jesus for a sign. You ever done that? God, just give me a sign. Just give me a sign. And Jesus said about that, he said the, 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 the wicked people ask for a sign. We don't, we don't need a sign. He said, the only sign I'm going to give you is a sign of Jonah, which is three days in the belly of the great fish and a resurrection. He's talking about his own life. That's the sign. The sign of God's power and his love for mankind is the message of the cross and a burial in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead. That's the message of Jonah, okay? Now, as he's teaching through that, he tells his disciples, again, the contrast, those that really are following him, he says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, leaven being that which is yeast in bread you put a little leaven in the lump it leavens the whole lump it affects the whole lump makes it rise and does all kinds of other things biologically and so Jesus says beware of the leaven and the disciples start thinking to themselves oh no we didn't bring enough bread and they start getting a little anxious about that and Jesus said well didn't you learn anything about how I fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 with just a few loaves why are you I'm not talking about bread I'm talking about beware of what they're teaching the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees okay so he's teaching them And then Jesus says, in the middle part of chapter 16, he asks a question of his disciples. Here's what he says. He says, who do men, who do people say that I am? In other words, you guys are out there in the marketplaces and things. Tell me what you hear people saying about me. And they they began saying this. Well, Jesus, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say Elijah or another prophet. So the, the world has all different kinds of opinions. They did then. Watch this. And they still do now. Okay, so Jesus said, okay, then he narrowed the question to individuals. And he said, well, then who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up. How many of you know a little bit about Peter? He always spoke up, didn't he? Uh, Even to his own detriment. You know, sometimes us people who speak before we think. Anybody in here like that besides me? All right, and so he would just speak sometimes and not just put one foot in his mouth, but both feet in his mouth. And so Peter, Peter steps up and says, you are Jesus, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him by saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't show you that, but my father who's in heaven. So I don't know about you, but that's a pretty powerful pat on the back. Wouldn't you agree? Who said it to him? Jesus. Who did he say it to? Peter. He says, Peter, blessed are you, man. Uh, you didn't figure that out on your own. God showed you that. You've, you've, you know the truth. Then he goes on to say to Peter, I'm, now your name's going to be Petros, which means little stone. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Talk about getting some encouraging words from Jesus. And on this church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, I don't know about you, but I, if Jesus is saying that to me, I'd be ready to run through the brick wall, charge hell with a water pistol, you know? You just get, I mean, you imagine Jesus giving you that pep talk? Hey, you're, now you're, you, you, God showed you that. You got it, son. Now, look, come on, I'm going to build the child. I'm like, let's go. Where do we want to go? Tell me where, Jesus. And then we have what's about to happen next. And it's going to surprise you. We go from that scene to this scene. So with that in thought in mind, would you stand to your feet in honor of reading God's word? And let's pick up in verse number 21. All right, you got a little context? Yeah, all right, let's dive in quickly before we are distracted, okay? Standing in honor of reading God's word. If you can, physically, if you can't, stand in your heart. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised. Y'all tell me when? The third day. day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, let me just pause right there. We just shifted somewhere, didn't we? 
What did he tell him before that? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hadn't shown you that. Man, you've got it figured out. I am the son of the living God. And he said, you're Peter. I'm gonna, you're on these New Testament believers, I'm going to build the church and the gates of hell. And boy, I'm getting, and things are wonderful. And then he says, get behind me. What does he call him? Satan. All right. Think about that a minute. Verse 24. Uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. For what profit is it to a man or to a woman or to a young person if they gain the whole world, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Pause for a moment. What's your soul worth? Good career, the right husband, wife. What's your soul worth? Think about it. Verse 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his work. Let's pause for just a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Startling contrast in the scene. Wouldn't you agree with me? We've gone from praising Peter and encouraging him and to calling him Satan. So, Father, I pray now in this hour, this time that we have, Lord, would you help me to proclaim this message with passion and yet seasoned with grace? And Father, I pray that my heart would be open today, that Lord, as you preach through me, you'd also preach to me. As you preach through me, put on display with such a simple person as I that you can use anybody. It's all about you. And Lord, as you preach through me, preach to me. I need to hear this, even though you and I have been visiting with this for a solid week now, I need to hear it again. So preach to my heart and preach to the heart of all of these. And God, would you help us not be distracted? Lord, you know our minds wander and the birds and the demons are always trying to distract us and steal away the seed of your word. So give us good soil condition of our heart. And may the seed of your word go and be planted there and produce wonderful fruit in our lives. We ask it in the wonderful matchless name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Thank you and you may be seated, All right, Now, I'm prepared today to not receive very many amens. Okay, that all right with y'all? I do have some people strategically placed in the, in the congregation that I ask them that if they would set a, a, a timer on their watch to just smile at me about every two minutes. Okay, just flash a smile at me and they know who they are. And uh, just so that I know that everybody's not mad at me and doesn't not like me. But I'm just going to tell you this message today is a little bit of a difficult one, okay? Now, here's the title. And I want you to write it somewhere, okay? Maybe you don't ever take notes or anything. I still want you to write this down because you're going to need to share this. I promise you when you get through this message, you're going to want to share it with your coworkers and people around you, all right? Here it is. We're going to talk through the, through, the, through the title really quickly, all right? Here it is. Shown on the overhead. Wait on, there we go. Uh, let's just read a little bit along and I'm going to explain as I, as I do. The all too common, now what does that mean? It means it happens all the time. The all too common Christian, so that means people who at least claim to be followers of Christ, practice, that means something that you do, your actions, of, you ready? I love that right there, boy. Another hush falls on the crowd. You can say it. Satanic living. Satanic living. So, the all-too-common Christian practice of satanic living. Now, leave that title up there for just a minute. Many times in our lives, we think about satanic rituals and living as people in dark robes and hoods, and they're sacrificing animals and blood and things like that, all kinds of uh, uh, dark imagery that we have in our mind. But really, you won't find that anywhere in the Word of God. What you will find in the Word of God is Jesus speaking to a follower of His, and in fact, calling that follower of His, y'all help me, what do you call him? Satan. 
So, I think it'd be well for us, it would be a a right thing for us to do is to examine this passage of Scripture and determine what did Jesus mean? What was he saying to Peter and how does it apply to me and you? Listen to this. I want to know if I'm acting like Satan. Anybody else? I want to know. And so, the Lord didn't bring you in here to beat you up today and crush your spirit. He he came in, brought you in today to show me and you there are areas in our life where we're living more like his adversary than like his child. Okay, so let's rewind, go back to the beginning, verse number 21. And what we're going to do in this historical account of this scene with Jesus and his disciples and specifically dealing with Peter, I want to break it down into scenes, if you will, as we're reading the account of what took place. So first, write this down. Number one in your notes, we're going to look for just a minute in verse 21 at the will of God. Because really what today is all about is the battle of two wheels. The will of God versus the will of man. So, let's go back and look at verse number 21. Let's find out what is the will of God. Now, remember what's happened. He's just said, who do you say that I am? And Simon says to him, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, you're the Messiah. You're the one who we've been waiting for. And as Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He's building him up. He's encouraging him. He's calling him Petros, which means that little stone in a group of stones. And he's going to build a church on these New Testament believers. And he's saying all these wonderful things to him. And then he begins to explain to them how he's going to do it. You with me? So it wouldn't make sense for him to say, Peter, I'm going to build, my, I'm going to build a church. Okay. Is that going to be uh, two by fours and, and stones and wood? No, no, no. Uh, the church of the living God is not brick and mortar. It's just the place we meet. It is flesh and blood. It's people, right? And so what he's, saying, what he's going to say now is, this is how I'm going to build my church. All right? He begins in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show. Now that word show there in the Greek is a word that means to establish and explain the validity, the importance of something by giving great detail. So, so Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to go across the cross now. He, he began to explain in great detail. I believe it probably looks something like he went to the Old Testament scriptures and the sacrificial systems and the need for the shedding of blood and the fact that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sins of the world, but that he as the Lamb of God came for the one-time sacrifice to take away all the stuff. So he's explaining to them in detail. Listen to what he says next. Uh, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he, and here's the next word I want you to highlight in your notes there, is the word must. And that word must is a word that means unavoidably determined by prior circumstances. Unavoidably determined. It's already determined that he was going to Jerusalem to do these things. So uh, he's sitting them down. He's having a one-on-one with them. And he says, hey, listen, guys, I'm about, this is how I'm going to build the church. This is how I'm going to call, by the way, the word church is ecclesia. It's a word that means called out or, or the assembly of God. That's why we gather. It's, it's part of what he called us, the assembly of God. And so we gather together and he says to them, how I'm going to do it is I'm going to go, and let me read verse 21, I'm going to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Now, Peter's in that group and he's listening. And he's hearing God's will for the redemption of all of mankind. That's a pretty big deal. Would you agree with me? Three of us will agree to that? All right. My smiling people hadn't smiled yet. Y'all need to smile. The timer should have gone off by now. Uh, there, there is a building of the church. And he says, I'm going to go. And Peter's processing this will of God. Now, here's something you need to know about God. God has a will and a way with every avenue of life. Every avenue of life, all right? Whether you're a business owner, whether it's the avenue of of family, whether it's the avenue of singleness, whether it's the avenue of finances, whether it's the avenue of health, 
Whether it's the avenue of parenting, whether it's the avenue of being a child to a parent, God has an, a, a will and a way in all of that, okay? And so he's telling, and, and aren't we like Peter sometimes? Peter's processing the will of God, and we don't always like it. Like, for instance, when he says, uh, just like God in Christ forgave you, you're supposed to forgive everybody. We don't really like that. Anybody out there? Y'all making me feel real lonely. You won't even nod with me today. We don't really like that. We don't like to be told we should forgive because we say, well, now you don't know what they've done to me. And so there are things about his will and way that we don't like. Peter's listening, the will of God. What was it? To save mankind by the suffering death of the Messiah, Jesus. And God the Son is explaining to his disciples, those that were supposed to be under his leadership and following his lead, that's what disciples do, and he's telling them, this is my will, okay? I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer, and I'm going to die. But listen, it's not all bad news. Because he also told them, the end of verse 21, is that he would also, y'all help me. Oh, y'all going to have to tighten up. Now that, listen, now that's the good news of the thing. Raised to lie. Yeah. No, raised to life. So you imagine if he's telling him, he said, hey, listen, I'm going to go. And he's, I know he's, he's giving great detail explaining what he's going to do and why he must die and how much the Father loves them and through his death's going to be proven. And, that, and, then, and he's going to suffer. And I'm thinking, they're thinking this, oh, this is awful. But then he tells them, hey, but on the third day, and you got to remember, you have to remember, he's already proven to them who he is. I mean, when he says, if you said that to somebody, they'd laugh at you. But this group had seen him do things nobody had ever done before. And he says, he's telling about the suffering, and oh, it sounded horrible and bad. And then he says, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. Now, that'd be a reason to shout, wouldn't it? If, if his will was ahead of our will. So, let me move on. The will of God is, okay, just in essence, to save mankind. Through the suffering death of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, and the power of his resurrection. Okay, we're moving on. Now, we're going to look at section 2 in your notes, all right? Section 2, we're going to call the adversary's will. Did you know the word Satan means adversary? Yeah, it means one who opposes, all right? So the adversary's will. Now, where are we going to find the adversary's will? Well, who in the passage was referred to as Satan? Peter. So by the determination of Jesus, the person in the scene that is going to show us Satan's will is going to be Peter. All right, so let's read. Put your eyes on verse 22 and 23. And then Peter took him aside. Now, wasn't that nice of him? Uh, they're all together, and Peter's listening and processing the will of God, just like you do sometimes, just like I do sometimes, and he doesn't like it. Uh, for instance, when, when the husband hears in the Word of God, it's God's will that you'd love your wife like Christ loved the church, not if she earns or deserves it, but because you're a follower of Christ. You don't, we don't like it. We read down like that. When, when we read in there as a, as a young person, as a youth, that we're supposed to submit to the authority of our parents in a loving, obedient way, we don't like that. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like that. And so Peter's hearing the will of God, and he doesn't like it. It's not, it's not what he wants. It's going to, well, it's going to affect his safety, comfort, and pleasure. You'll understand that in just a minute. So as he's processing that, he thinks he's doing Jesus a favor by carrying him off to the side as to not embarrass Jesus in front of the people. Isn't that ridiculous? Hold on, y'all, just a minute. Come on, Jesus. We've got to go over here and have a little talk. Because your will and your way, Jesus, is not right. You say, he didn't say that yet. It says he rebuked him. Which means, in the conversation, Peter said at some point to him, your will is not right. This is not the right way. Far be it from you. Y'all read it. Far be it from you. Jesus, this, shall, this will not happen to you. <laughs> well, we have to be careful, don't we? 
in our lives because really what happened there is Peter thought he was doing Jesus a favor. He did himself a favor. Because can you imagine being in front of the whole group when, when Jesus said back to him what he's about to say? Huh? Who saved face there? Uh, Peter did. So his response, Jesus' response. Peter has processed the will of God. He has, he has weighed it against what he desires. And in his mind, he's determined that his way is better. Oh, we sang about that, didn't we? Now, we sang about the fact that his way is better. But Peter sang about, well, he lived the fact that his way was better. Jesus said, I'm, this is my way, my will. I'm going to go into Jerusalem, and I'm going to submit my life to the suffering at the hands of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Peter weighed that. I don't want that. That means Jesus is going to leave me. That means Jesus is not going to be here with me. That means that all the things that I think Jesus provides for me, safety, comfort, and pleasure, I love to be with Jesus. I don't want him to take those from me. So, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So the adversaries will notice in the passage what Jesus says back to him. But he turned and said to him. Now can you imagine? He just told him, blessed are you, Simon Barjon. I, I, I would imagine that when Jesus said that to him, don't you know he's probably stood up a little straighter? You know, I'm the rock. You know, he called, y'all hear him? He called me the rock. And just a few, little while later, he's now saying to him, Get behind me. And that, that phrase literally means there, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Now listen to me. When you and I are living the adversary's will, which by definition is my will over his, we're in the way of what God wants to do in his will in this life. Now we're going to talk about that in a little bit more in just a moment, okay? So Jesus says to him, get behind me. And of all the things he could have said, you immature, no. He said, get behind me, you dumb, mm-mm. Get behind me, you rascal. No. Of all the terms that Jesus could have chosen to speak into Peter's life was that he needed Peter in shock and awe to realize that when we elevate our will over God's will, it is exactly the thing that the adversary, the devil, did in Isaiah chapter 14. You remember the fall of Lucifer, that angel created to bring praise to God, Isaiah 14. There are five statements Lucifer made, and they all start out this way. Listen to this. I will. I will, I will. Five things he said, I will do. What was the adversary? What was Lucifer? What was that angel created to bring all the praise and glory and honor to God who rebelled against him in his heart? What was the rebellion? My way over your way. That's the whole attitude of Satan. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Boy, if you don't think you and I don't oftentimes live like the devil. The truth of the matter is, this message God spoke to me as I'm walking to my truck last Sunday night. You believe that? Just got through preaching, you know, all day long, seemed like. And walking to my truck out there, and the Lord begins to whisper to me this message. And I'm going, oh, I've never thought about that. Never preached this passage. All these years and all these messages. And I just began to think about, can you imagine what it must have felt like, Drew, when Jesus looked him in the eyes and, and called him Satan? Jesus, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. Love incarnate. Looking into the eyes of Peter and called him Satan. And so why did he do it? Well, remember what I said that we find the attitude of Satan in Isaiah 14. Put that in your notes somewhere. Those five I will statements. I will ascend to the throne. I will receive the praise. His will over God's will. God's will is that he would receive the praise because he alone is God. And what an opposition we oftentimes face. Notice that the creature 
is rebuking the creator. Come over here now. I know you breathe galaxies into existence, but you, I need to straighten you out. And it seems comical, but don't we do that when we choose our husbands and wives and careers? And, and don't we do that when we choose what we're going to do with our days and our time, talent, and treasures? And don't we do that when we elevate our will over his will? Let me give you some examples. Let me make this statement to you. Write it somewhere in your notes. God has a will and a way for every avenue of life. Now let's talk about some of them since I have you seated and got your attention. You ready? Where's my smilers? I didn't lost y'all somehow. It's a sea of unsmiling folk. All right, there we go. Got a couple. All right, now let's dive in for just a minute and talk about God has a will and a way for every avenue of life. Let me just throw some out there. The single life. God has a will and a way for the single life, okay? The single life is not supposed to enjoy the same uh, things that the married life does as far as sexual purity. And so if God's will is that I would stay uh, sexually uh, inactive with, as, a, as a single person and that it's only something that sex is reserved for marriage, then if I choose my will over his will, it's satanic lifestyle. Satanic lifestyle. The married life. God has a will and a way for the man to be the spiritual leader of the home. If I debunk that and choose my will over his will, come on, you can say it. Satanic, Satanic living. His will for me as a husband is to love my wife like Christ loved the church. If I choose not to, if I think she has to earn it, I'm only pleasant to her when she's pleasant to me, it is a Satanic, satanic lifestyle. For the wife, he has a will and a way that she would be the helper of her husband. How about that? Culture tells you, ladies, helper is less than. Helper, second place. You'll never be a helper. The Bible says there's a group of helpers that are four mentioned in the Word of God. They are God the Father. He's our ever-present help in time of need. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll send a helper. He will guide you into all truth and teach you all things that I've commanded you. Listen. And number four, the wife. Pretty high company that the culture's lied to you about. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the wife. And the Word of God says that you follow His leadership and support and encourage Him, not as a silent partner. And some of us look at that and we say, yeah, but I just don't, I don't think He's earned it. I don't think He deserves it. And so I choose my will over His will, and it's satanic living. We can go on and talk a little bit about parenting. And the Word of God says that as a parent, I'm responsible to teach my children the, the ways and the admonition of the Lord. And if I look at that and say, I don't really want to do that. We don't want to have Bible study in the house. I don't want to pray with my kids. I don't want to make sure that they're in the church and, and teaching them at home. I would rather take them to the soccer field and the baseball field. I'd rather teach them sports. And when I choose my will over his will, it is, y'all help me, satanic living. Satanic living. You see why it's sort of quiet in here? You see why I've, this whole week this message has been on my heart? I hope you understand. I, I get it. That's why I'm not pressing any amens because I've been with this thing for a week now. And you can imagine what it's done in my heart and, on, and in my life. So we go on to think a little bit about God has a will and a way in friendships. And that is that we're involved and we're not disconnected and that we give and take and that we're there to serve and we cry with each other and we laugh with each other and we're there to be there for each other. It's, if I choose to be absent and I choose my will over his will. It's satanic living. How about, watch this one. How about finances? Did you know that God has a will and a way in the area of finances for his children? Now, you don't have to nod. I'm telling you that he has a will and a way in finances. He intends for us to not spend just haphazardly, to uh, overextend ourselves with credit, right? He intends for us to work for what we earn, 
okay? And that because when we work for what we want to earn, and that we also would use part of that resource for kingdom work. And when we do, he multiplies that. And that's, but if I choose not to do that, if I choose my will my way, it is satanic living. Let me just go a little further. Y'all are like, please, please, please stop. Here's one. Here's one. How about this one? How about there? You know that God has a will and a way in the area of health. Boy, listen to that hush fell over the crowd. Three particular areas. Diet, exercise, and rest. I know that the word of God declares that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in order for me to do ministry, as I go about working things, my body's got to be in some kind of shape. And round is not the shape that we're shooting for. Okay? I hear people make jokes all the time. Well, round's a shape. If I choose to disregard a proper diet, and I just put any kind of sugar in my body, and I eat any kind of thing any time of day or night, I choose my will over his will, satanic living. In the area of exercise, I need to get out and get my body moving and, 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 and get my heart rate up. If I choose not to exercise, which Paul said is profitable, if I choose not to exercise, then I choose my will over his, then it is... Come on, y'all. Work with me here. Satanically. We're almost finished. If the area of rest, I never go to bed. I'm up all hours of the night. I never spend time resting. I don't spend time uh, on the Sabbath day, a Sabbath day setting apart from the rest of the world. If I choose my way over his way, it, in the area of rest is satanic living. And then lastly, relationship with him. He has a will and a way. His will is that everybody would be saved. Do you know that? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He's not willing that anybody should perish. He proved it by sending his son. But he has a will and a way. You can't come to him in good works. You can't choose your way to go to him. There's only one way to go to the Father in his name is Jesus. So I'm going to move on. That'd be all right with y'all. Good. I figured it would be. And uh, a question I want to share with you that I wrote in my notes. Here it is. I got a couple of smiles in. Good. All right. We're all still together in this thing. Write this question in your notes. I wrote it in mine. Are there areas where God's will and way has come in conflict with my will and my way? Now just write that down and wrestle with it for a minute. Are there areas in my life, some that I mentioned, some that I did not? Uh, I could say sobriety. God's will is for me to be sober-minded. If I choose not to, I'm going my way. Satanically. You see, you see it's, it's every avenue of life. So when we think about that, are there areas in, where God's will and, and, and way has come in conflict with my will and my way? God's will on marriage, we remember, is male and female. For design, function, for holy, what, what, his way's this, my way's that. If I choose the other, it's satanic living. Other areas, and I'm just going to tell you that my answer to the question was yes. Now, what I want you to do in your notes, with nobody else looking, I want you to write down what that is. Is it the single life? Is it just you and the Lord? Is it, is it that God's dealing with you that you're not living the married life according to his will and way? How about finances? I think everybody in the room probably could write finances in. I just want you to think about that for just a minute. Three things I want to talk to you about in the adversary's will. Jesus called Peter Satan. Three things. Number one, when we choose our will over his will, listen, we make ourselves his adversary. Now that's interesting to me. Because... If I'd have seen Peter in those days, I'd have said, now Peter's a follower of Jesus. He's with him everywhere. He's going everywhere with him. But Jesus called him Satan, which is adversary. He said, get out of the way. Get, get behind me. Get out from in front. Move out of the way. I'm, I'm heading to Jerusalem. I've got a will to carry out, and you, by your will, are in the way. 
So think for just a minute, if you will, about uh, this particular passage when he says to him, uh, you are an offense to me. Think about that for just a minute. First, he calls him Satan, which is the adversary. Let me give you another verse to go with that. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Write it down in your notes and we talk about it. James 4, 4 says, adulterers and adulteresses. Listen close. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He's asking him a question. And then he makes a statement. Y'all ready? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world, the world's idea, the world, what the world says is okay, what the world determines is truth, makes himself an enemy, adversary. There it is again. Adversary. I wonder if there's some areas in my life, in your life, that we're living as the enemy of God instead of the child of God. Some areas that maybe have flown under the radar that we've not thought about, you know? Some areas that we just sort of discounted because, well, it's a good thing. Now, I want you to think about what made Jesus say this. Peter, Peter, what, what did he want? What did he want? Jesus said, I'm about to leave. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. What did Peter want? Peter wanted Jesus right here. Now, is that a bad thing? I mean, I don't think any of us would say, you know, it's a bad thing to want Jesus to stay with you. But there are a lot of things in our life that are not necessarily bad things, but when we put our will above his will, mm, it's satanic. I thought about how oftentimes in our life, part of the will of God, listen to this. So you may be questioning right now, what is God's will? Well, I mentioned so many different avenues, but I'm going to give you a general one for every born-again believer. You know what verse it's found in? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore into all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Making disciples, he said. Make disciples through all the nations. Teaching them all things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always unto the end of the age. So every born again believer has been called to make disciples. That's his will. So some of us have come in today. Now watch this. This is get so real. Watch how quiet it's fixing to get. Some of us have come in today, and we feel pretty good about ourselves. We feel like we go to church some, you know. We don't come on Sunday nights. That's like really, that's, that would be extravagant. But we come some on Sunday mornings. Not every Sunday morning, but we come some Sunday mornings. So that, that means something, right? And we focus on our career and our work and our home. And we have food on the table in our careers, and we mix in some Jesus on the weekend. We even read our Bible a couple of days a week. But the will of God is that we were born again to make disciples. And so we came in under the impression that we're pretty good, you know. But really we're living a satanic lifestyle. Because we know his will is to make disciples and we've chosen to go our way. Is having a home a bad thing? No. Was wanting Jesus to be with him a bad thing? No. It just wasn't the will of God. You said the will of God is not for me to have a house? Absolutely not. I'm just saying if you have your house, it ought to be used for making disciples. So, uh, boy, that gets real. See, I'll tell you how quiet it's going to get. Like if y'all can see a picture from up here, it's like freeze frame. (laughs) But I'm hopeful that the shock and awe statement that Jesus made to Peter is shocking and awing you right now to see that your life is not what you thought it was when you came in. Not based on me or my interpretation or my ideas. But based on biblical proof of the conversation between Jesus and one of his followers. And he said to Peter, Peter said, I just want you to stay. I don't, you know, you know, you're too good for that. You're not, nah, no. You're my safety, my comfort, my pleasure. I like hanging out with you, Jesus. And I'm pretty safe when I'm with you because you, matter of fact, they come try to take you, I'm going to cut their ear off. Well, he didn't say that, but that is what he did. 
And so we become the enemy of God, even sometimes with good plans. Even when our will is good and not evil, we become the enemy of God if we stand in the way of God's will to save as many as will come. Secondly, when we choose our will over his, we become a hindrance to the will and the work of God in the world. Listen to what he says to him next. Right, I'm going to give you a minute to write that. When we choose our will over his, we become a hindrance to the will and the work of God and add to the, in, in the world. So he says, get behind me, Satan. There's the adversary. You have become an, uh, you are an offense to me. Do you know that word offense is a word that also can be interpreted as snare. So I'm headed to Jerusalem and I'm fixing to purchase the redemption of anybody who will call on my name for generations until I return. And Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get out of the way. Get out of the way, you're a hindrance. This conversation between your will and my will is slowing me down. Get out of the way because you are a hindrance to me. Listen, when you and I start choosing our will over his, we are a hindrance to the will and the work of God in the world. I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody going to hell because I lived my will over his. And I didn't share the gospel and I didn't go about doing the things of the kingdom. Oh, what a powerful word today. Uh, we are a hindrance when we choose our will over his. Let me give you a verse. It's going to make perfect sense to you. Matthew 12 and verse 30. Matthew 12 and verse 30. Come on, y'all, hang with me. We're almost there. We're going to get some amens by the third one. All right? Matthew 12 and verse 30. Listen closely. He that's not with me, here's what Jesus said. He that's not with me is adversary. There it is again. Same word for Satan, adversary, against me. Okay, who are those people? So he defines it for us. He who does not gather, which is actively gathering souls, right? Through discipleship, sharing the gospel and discipleship. He that's not actively gathering is actually actively scattering. See, you thought your life was just a good old boy. You're just a good old life. You don't try to rock the boat. You just sort of try to go to work and do your thing. Come to church every once in a while, sprinkle some Jesus in, read your Bible verse of the day, and you thought everything was smooth and fine, and Jesus said, actually, you're operating as my enemy. Now, friend, I don't know about you, but it's a great tragedy for a child to act as your enemy. Do you ever have a child act like your enemy? And the older they get, the more painful that is. And can you imagine what it must be like for God when we have been born again, and yet we're living our life. It looks good to the outside. We're nice people. We don't cuss, you know, whatever, whatever. But we're not living the will of God. And we're living as his adversary. Number three, we choose our will. Listen, so Jesus, right in this same statement, we find three things. We choose our will over his, we become his adversary, called him Satan. We become, an, we become a hindrance, he called him an offense. For you are, and then he tells him how, okay? Number three, write this down. We choose our will when our minds are fixed on us. Jesus said, here's how you've been called that. Because or for you are not, y'all reading with me? Mindful of the things of God, but instead your mind is fixed on things of men. Your, your, your mind is focused on your job. Your, your mind is focused on comfort. Your mind is focused on putting food on. Your mind is focused on uh, all the temporary stuff, a good retirement. Your, your mind is focused on all this temporary stuff that if your heart stopped beating right now, it wouldn't matter at all. And a thousand years from now, nobody will know the difference. And Jesus said, now how was he saying that to Peter? What, what did he mean? Peter, Peter was mindful of the things of men. His, his will was, I want Jesus here with me. I want Jesus here with me. I want Jesus by my side. It's safe. It's comfortable. It feels good to talk with him and know that he loves me. Jesus said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. No, I'm not thinking about all the whole world. I'm just thinking about my, oh, I'm just thinking about myself. 
And Jesus said, your mind is not, you're not, you're not even thinking about my will and what I'm doing and what I came to do. And so often we lose sight of that. Come on, somebody. Shake your head. Do something. Lose sight, don't we? We go about life and bills and work and doctors and stuff and uh, politics. And we lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners such as I. So that I can go out and tell other people and help them out of the ditch. And they can find this eternal life that I'm walking in. Oh, we should have got some amens right there. But I know we're still old men. So that's okay. That's all right. Number three and finally. Roman numeral three and finally. In order to follow Jesus, and this is the last couple of verses, in order to follow Jesus, we, have to, we must deny ourselves. Now, interestingly enough, in the New King James, there's a break, right? Between where I stopped in verse 23 and verse 24, but I, I don't believe there should be a break there at all. Why? Because what Jesus says next goes right back to the point. We've got to deny ourselves to follow him. Peter was not denying himself, and yet in his mind he thought he was following Jesus. And so Jesus used a shock and awe campaign, didn't he? Why? He didn't call him a traitor. He didn't call him a rascal. He called him Satan. Whoa, stop the truck. Let's just, I want to hear what you had to say. And then he says this to all of his disciples. Listen close. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, here's what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to deny himself. See, Peter, Peter made himself a teaching point, right, of what not to do. You can't follow Jesus and go your way. Those two things don't line up. He goes on to say, let him deny himself and take up his cross, which is where we die. And Jesus said, follow me. For, now, now watch, he just keeps shaping this thing. For whoever desires to save his life is going to lose it. If Peter would have saved his life, what was his life? His life with Jesus. Safe, comfortable, enjoyable. I mean, when your best friend can walk on water, call dead people out of the grave. If he'd have saved that life, if the comfortableness of his life with Jesus there, the comfortableness of the temporary nature of his life on earth would have been what he clung to and kept Jesus there, then Jesus could not have died for him and Peter himself would have went to hell. Wow. If you hang on to your life, your ways, your will, you never surrender to Jesus as Lord, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose eternal life. You're going to lose the benefit of knowing God and walking with Him and having His Holy Spirit and fellowshipping with other believers and the Word of God making sense and nourishing your soul. You're going to miss, here's something else big you're going to miss, you're going to miss heaven. You're going to miss all of that. Listen, he goes on to say, I'm going to read a little further, for what profit? Now listen, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What have you gained if all of your focus is on your will and building the American dream and all of that, and then you never surrender your life to the will of God, which is salvation through Jesus Christ and living for him, and you never experience that, and you have got untold riches here, and then you die. And I don't think you've ever seen, you've heard this before, you've never seen... A Lewis Fargo truck following behind the hearse, have you? And even if you have, all they can do is weigh your casket down with that gold money. Because you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. And I want you to think about that. What profit? What are you working for? What are you so focused on? Has it slipped away from your grasp the reason that he saved you in the first place? That you would be his representation here on the earth? 
to bring others into the kingdom and find the freedom that we have found in Jesus. Oh, he said, he said to Peter, what, what if, if a person gains the whole world? Let me read a little further along. Uh, for what profit is it to a man if he gains? I'm in verse 26. That he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Or, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's your soul worth? Big house? A safe full of guns? What's it worth to you? To follow your will and your way over his will and his way. I, I want to just conclude today by saying this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, that verse is going to be on the overhead. I want you to write it in your notes. Listen close. And he died, Jesus. He died for, y'all help me, who did he die for? Oh, I'm thankful unto God he died for me. All those, listen to what he says, he died for all that those who live, okay, should live no longer for, uh uh-oh, themselves, but instead now for him who died for them and rose again. Wouldn't it be just like him to be different than we thought? Even, even different than we want? But what we have to determine today is he is better. His way is better. So as we bow our heads together for just a moment, I want you to consider the areas of your life in which maybe you've lost sight of who Jesus is. Jesus did not come to make you happy. He came to make me and you holy. There's joy found when we place our hope and trust in Him. Now listen closely. I want you to evaluate your life. You put all your stuff away and I want you to evaluate your life for just a minute. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to you this. You ready? Lord, if there's any area of my life where I'm living as your enemy. I came in today, God, and I didn't even really understand it. I thought being your enemy would be actively working against you. But today I've heard your word explain that if I'm not doing it your way, I'm living as your opposition. I don't believe there's a person in here that says, I want to live a satanic life. I don't believe that. I believe sometimes the enemy is so crafty and deceiving us. Using the world to shape our ideas of what marriage should look like or how we should treat our friends or what we should do with our finances how we should treat our parents how we should raise our children that with all of that pressure on the outside we conform we compromise a little bit and in that slow erosion we don't realize that what we're doing is we're becoming an enemy of God we're his child we ought to live as his child so today what's the Holy Spirit of God saying to you I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Would you do that with a, your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute? I believe there are going to be some that need to just come down the altar and spend some time with the king. Now, the thing that will hold you back from doing that will be pride. And maybe the Holy Spirit's already telling you, you've got to get down to that altar, me and you've got to meet there. And so I'm going to invite you. The altar's open as we're praying. You just come as you feel led. Brian's already down. Shane's down. I think Dawn's going to come. Dawn is with him as well. Ladies, if you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe there's some young people here that need to go find mom and dad or mom and dad need to go find a young person. I don't, I don't know. You just need to come to them and say, you know what, we've, we've not been living his will. I've not been living his will in your life, mama or daddy, and following your leadership. We're going to just allow some time for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts this morning. If you're here and you've never been born again, here's the good news. You ready? Today you can put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. 
If the Spirit of God is nudging your heart and drawing you, you can believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. And based on that wonderful truth, you can invite Him to be Lord. You'll have to surrender. You'll have to wave the white flag and invite Him to come and be Lord. He'll do it. So as we lift our voice in song, you come. The altar's open. You just want somebody to pray for you. That's what we're here for. If you've made Jesus Lord of your life, come on, share it with us. We want to celebrate with you. Father, I pray this morning as the altar's filling up, I know there are others out there. Come on, there's others y'all out there that need to come. Don't play games with God. If he's nudging your heart, come on, just let it go on the altar and spend some time with him. So I said, there's nothing magical about an altar. No, but there's something very powerful about, symbolic about you leaving your chair. Willingly leaving your chair and responding publicly. Thank you. There are some still moving. Just continue. As the Spirit nudges you, just come on. Spend a little time there. Spend some time you and Him. Father, would you move now according to your perfect will? Forgive me, God. I must start in repentance. Forgive me for the areas that I'm living more like your enemy, more like Satan than I am your child. I thank you that your forgiveness is here and can be found. I thank you that your grace is sufficient. But Lord, don't let it be a crutch for me to prop up living like your enemy. Forgive me, set me free. Do that for many. In Jesus' name.